focus of the men's tennis world remains in Central Europe as the main road leads to Turin. Welcome to this week's ATP podcast with me, Chris Bowers. We've had 500 level events in Vienna and Basel, and in this week's show we continue to meet some of the runners and riders heading into the climax of the ATP Tour. Plus, we talk to two very successful coaches. And after meeting the mother of Holger Rune on last week's show, we catch up with some other members of the Young Danes team. But first, to the fifth man to qualify for the NITO ATP Finals in Turin, Andrei Rublev. It's been another good year for the Russian, claiming his first Masters 1000 title in Monte Carlo, alongside another title in Borsted. And this week, just after his 26th birthday, his run to the semi-finals of the Erstebank Open meant he clinched a place at the NITO ATP Finals for the fourth consecutive year. So, when I spoke to his coach, Fernando Vicente, in Vienna, I put it to him that he had plenty of reasons to be happy. I will say yes, but you know how he's at the best level, you know, you always want to achieve better things. I mean, I'm happy because the season is good, it doesn't matter what happens in the next two weeks. But uh, like a coach, like a ex-tennis player, I cannot say that I'm not happy. I'm happy because Andre is always trying the best and uh, of course there is things to improve and uh, this is uh, our goal for the moment uh, the, for the next year we are looking for to improve things to try to to do the things a bit better can you identify what you have to improve there is many things to improve that people they they can see i mean we are good from the baseline we need to go a bit more forward to the net to close the points we need to move better defense and also i mean it's a lot of things mental things how to behave. We are talking about this, but the, the problem is a bit tough sometimes when you don't have time to work because the calendar is very, very long and the season is long. So uh, that's the thing that is not easy, like a coach, to when to stop and to improve these things, you know what I mean? Okay, so if you had two months off, what would you focus on? If you had more time than, than you have even in the off-season? I would like to have more time to to improve uh, details that we need and uh, and okay you told me if I will have two months uh, in pandemic time we were having three months four months and for us was the time that we really work in a good way and I was feeling that Andre was improving sometimes without motivation because it was not easy but uh, should be nice for everybody to, to have this I don't know a bit more time to work on, on it. When you watch Andre on the television, any of us watch him, mm-hmm. he's clearly the equal of everybody at the top of the game in every respect except perhaps belief. Do you, do you agree with that or do you feel that that's the last step for him? I mean, in which sense you, you want to... You, you th- what do you mean? You know, he's, he's got stuck at the, gra- at the quarter-final stage of Grand yes. Slams and there have been matches he could have won and he hasn't. Now, OK, any one match can get away, we know that. But is there, a, is there a, an element... He's such a nice guy. Is there an element where he doesn't quite believe? No, I think he really believed the problem. I mean, I was on all these... in all these uh, quarter-finals, but if you see and you don't lie yourself in... I think in seven of them, we don't really have a chance because we face uh, better players. He was young, but I think uh, on the last two, I will say, uh, was one with Marin Silic in Roland Garros. This one for me was uh, one of the big chances and he, 
he he don't really behave good in the fifth. But I think he now is more ready to to cross this line. But uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens in the future. It's a lot of guys coming, young guys. Alcaraz appears last two years, and uh, it's not going to be easy. It depends on the draw. So, but I think it's enough mature. It's, it's improving, and uh, we'll see what happens. Did you notice a jump up in his his game, both his strokes and his mental game, his attitude, when he won Monte Carlo? Because that was his first Masters 1000. No, but the, the attitude in Monte Carlo was also so-so. It was a bit up and down. So you cannot say because he won and then he behaved and he believed till the end. Andre win matches, he's always fighting. It's not about, there is no doubt that uh, he's fighting always. It's more about how you understand, uh, uh, how you understand what happened on court. Sometimes it's only, he never fight with the opponents. It's more about him. He's disappointed. He's extremely uh, aggressive and extremely uh, tough with him. And that's why sometimes he's losing mind. But it's Russian style. Does he care too much? Does he get down on himself because he wants it too much? He deserves a lot, but at the same time, he knows that he's not doing the right, the right way to win. Because sometimes, like I said, he's losing mind, he loses focus, and then at, at that level, every single detail it can change everything. Like in the final in in uh, Shanghai, so it, this is one of the parts that we need to keep improving. Uh, but. Not easy because we are competing almost every day, every week, and uh, we are fighting for the points and everybody has to follow the, the tournaments week by week, uh, but it is what it is. You've been with him for coming up 10 years now. How, eight years. Eight years. How has your relationship changed in recent years with him? If I, to be honest, at the beginning, when, you, when I started with him, I was really enjoying more. I reached the top 10 level with him like a coach, and for me, it's a bit more, uh, now it's a bit different because it looks like you have to win always. And uh, I mean, it's, for one side, it's nice, but when we were growing and improving things and uh, jumping on the ranking, I enjoy a bit more. Now it looks like everybody is telling me the same, oh, he cannot pass quarters, blah, blah, blah. But if you, if you tell me when we start that, that we will achieve all these things, uh, I will say, okay, it's going to be tough. I'm happy, but I understood now that we want more things now. It's different. So it's actually a punishment for being so good. Yes, yes. It's good, but like I say, it's never enough. Russian mentality, even if you win two Grand Slam, they wanted the third one. If you are five in the world, you have to be four. If not, they Andre wants to be the best one. But sometimes, if you don't do the things the way you should be do. Uh, you cannot, so we need to learn. If you could change one thing about Andre, what would it be? I will not change nothing because I know the way he is. The guy is super nice outside. Inside sometimes he's going crazy, but this character is making him win many times and many matches. So the only thing that I can do is to, to keep working with him, to try to, to, don't say, I, to say the truth sorry, and to don't like him. I know everybody and many people is uh, so happy and uh, they give so so much love to him. But inside my own, I know that there's still things to, to work.
He's not fighting his opponent, he's fighting himself. A fascinating insight from Fernando Vicente, the coach of Andre Rublev, into his player. There's clearly a very trusting relationship between the Spaniard and the Russian. Rublev is the fifth player to secure a place at the year-end finals in Turin after Novak Djokovic, Carlos Alcaraz, Daniel Medvedev and Yannick Sinner, with the former NITO ATP finals champion Stefano Tsitsipas next in line to qualify. He did his chances no harm with a run to the semi-finals in Vienna. Another coach who's known great success, notably with Roger Federer, has returned to the tour. Ivan Lubicic, who guided Federer to one of the greatest comebacks in tennis history in 2017, was hired by the French Tennis Federation to help its youngsters and is back on the tour working with two French teenagers, Artur Fis and Luca van Asch. Seb Lozier asked Lubicic what brought him back to coaching after the heights he hit with Federer. No, but it's it's honestly I, I love it. I, I'm back on tour. Uh, ever since COVID, really, with Roger, he didn't play many tournaments. I didn't travel much, and I, I feel that you know that there there are differences. It's everything is more technologically uh, evolved. You know, you book through the apps, and you know it's. I don't know. I, I it's a bit weird, honestly, because it is different. But I love it. I mean, I love the tour. I've been on tour since well 25 years now, so I'm not planning to go anywhere. And how did this come about, working with two of these French young players? Well, it's not really just the two. I mean, it's, it's just invo- my involvement with the Federation. So since really end of last year, beginning of this year, uh, it was something that kind of was exciting to me, something different. I want to try to help. You know, uh, there is one of the biggest, if not the biggest federation in the world with with amazing structure. And, you know, I was curious what's missing. Where can I help? And so uh, that's what caught my attention and then excite me every ever since because it's true i mean france you know it's been a long time since france produced a real top player but they've always got a lot of players inside the top 100 is is that what you're trying to help them with yes i mean really i mean to understand the mentality for me to understand the way of thinking the way of functioning uh, you know it's it's really the first step you know i'm not i mean even even the coaching for me it's not just step in and you know you do what i say it's rather understanding where where those small differences are, and and these young, two young players are really exciting. I think both Arthur and, and Luca are are fantastic players. They are already top players, but they are only 19. So it's uh, it's exciting to see these young young players build up and then really becoming uh, stars of the of the tour. And watching you coach, you seem very detailed. How would you say your coaching philosophy has evolved over time? Yeah, that, that's maybe the good good way to describe it. I love to, to, to especially at the highest level, you know, you, you talk details. You don't talk, you know, changing techniques, changing the, the way you hold the racket. This is, this is done and dusted, you know, uh, when you're young. But the details, I think it's what at the highest level makes a difference. Of course, you have to be physically strong, you have to be mentally strong and all of it. But then, you know, it's, it's getting to know the players and trying to get that little extra to, 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 to their bag. I think it's something that, that, that's helpful. And just finally, on Artur Fis, he's won a title now. Um, how good can he be? Well, I think the sky is the limit, really. I mean, we, we don't know. The fact is that we really don't know. Uh, the numbers are telling us that he's extremely good. You know, at the age of 19, you know, made a jump from, I think, August last year, he was 315. So the, the jump, it's tremendous from Luca as well. So I, I really think it's, this is, I remember when I was young, you know, when, you know, can you be number one? Yes, you can. Can you win slam? Yes. Can you win 20? Yes. You know, only when you're like 30 and over, this is where the limits start. But, you know, it's exciting to see the young players, you know, evolve. And I, and as I said, you know, I start, sky is really the limit. How good they're going to be. I love to say it, it depends mostly on them. 
you know, uh, they need to take that responsibility and push it and be, be really um, demanding from themselves first. And then, of course, uh, with, the, with the people around them as well, they need to help them to grow. Seems like you're enjoying yourself. I am, I am, absolutely. Great to see Ivan Lubicic back and enjoying himself. And that's good news for the two 19-year-olds. Feast is already in the top 40. Van Ash is knocking on the door of the top 60. And both are in the places to qualify for the ATP Next Gen Finals in Jeddah. We heard from Fies last week. So who is his fellow Frenchman, Luca Van Asch? I am Luca Van Asch and I am 19 years old. I was born in, uh, in Brussels, in Belgium. And then when I was three, I moved to Aix-en-Provence in the south of France. So I grew up there with the sun and with the pool. During the holidays, my mom put me on a stage in a tennis center and I started there and I liked it and uh, I lived uh, four years there and I moved after in Lyon uh, for five years and now I am in Paris and uh, yeah, I'm just enjoying my life. When I came here in Paris, when I was, I think, uh, 11, I started to play very good, to be one of the best in France. Um, so I started to think that I could be a professional tennis player and then I started to win a lot of matches, big events uh, in Europe. Um, I was starting to imagine what my life could be uh, as a professional tennis player. I think that I am a very solid player uh, from the baseline. He has matched him. And even better, Djokovic. I mean, he was so far out of court here. This stunned everyone. I'm doing a few errors uh, during uh, my matches. So, uh, yeah, I'm very solid. I'm physically, I'm very strong. Uh, I can run a lot. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I, can, I can do, I think, uh, a lot of things, uh, almost everything. So uh, that's what I like when I play. What's your biggest weapon on the court? Um, on the court when I play, I think uh, it's my backhand. A lot of players uh, inspires me. Um, of course, uh, Roger Federer is my idol, so uh, he's the one. Off the court, uh, I'm doing a lot of things. Uh, I'm going to school a little bit. I'm just seeing friends, enjoying my time playing some video games sometimes. I just spend time with my family. So yeah, I'm just enjoying my life, of course, also. I am calm outside the court, um, but I'm very intelligent, kind, happy guy. I am very funny, I think. Well, I hope so. So yeah, that's it. My goals for 2023, it was to to win other challengers, to be in the 100 and to perform into the ATP events. I won uh, two challengers in a row. I won my first match in an ATP Tour event. I won the uh, first match in the Grand Slam in Roland Garros in my hometown. It's a very uh, good thing for me if I, if I will play the next-gen ATP Finals. Uh, I will be very excited about it. Um, I'm also proud. Um, because uh, there are only eight players in the world who can play uh, this year the ATP Next Gen Finals. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a good achievement of my year. In five years, I hope that I will be a Grand Slam winner, um, that I will be number one in the world, um, that I will be a very famous player, um, a loved one. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. 
Luca Van Asch speaking to ATP Uncovered, and he has a wild card into this week's Masters 1000 tournament in Paris. Karen Hachanov got off to a great start to the year, reaching the semi-finals at the Australian Open, which followed his US Open semi four months earlier. But the momentum he was enjoying meant he played with pain in his lower back, and that caused a fracture in his groin, which emerged in his Roland Garros quarter-final against Novak Djokovic. There followed seven weeks without touching a racket, which could have derailed his year. But he and his wife not only celebrated the birth of their second son, but Hachanov won the title in Zhuhai in only his second tournament back. When I spoke to him in Vienna, he said the injury was almost, but not quite, behind him. It's definitely better. It's on, it's on the way uh, of coming back to the form, you know, and I think, uh, especially, you know, coming back from an injury, not, not competing for three months, it was uh, in a way very surprising also, you know, from one side, of course, I uh, was training and I felt better physically and uh, pain free. But still, you know, to come back and win a tournament right away, it's really uh, amazing feeling, you know, and I think um, after that, you know, I didn't play so well in two of them, you know, like Beijing and Tokyo, you know, but I think, OK, it's part of the journey, part of the process. And, uh, you know, now. I'm motivated, pumped, you know, to continue, keep building, keep, keep feeling better, you know, and uh, basically to, to bring the form which I had uh, the first part of the season, you know, before the injury. I mean, you had a very good year in 2022 and you seem to be back to where you were when you won the Paris Masters. Did you feel that you were back to that position or was it almost like a different phase of your career? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I think um, from 2020, I started to 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 play better. You know, I, I improved in certain aspects of my game, uh, mentally, you know, physically. You know, the, we had some goals with my team. You know, to come back to top 10 this year, I did it. You know, even though for a week or two, you know, unfortunately, again, due to an injury, you know, I was not playing in summer. And uh, I think all, all being saying that, you know, it just uh, shows that uh, I'm capable of doing these things and I just need to continue believing and, and, and uh, you know, I'm confident that, uh, uh, that I can do it, you know. Did the title in Paris help or did it actually create expectations that you weren't ready to fulfill? I would say it's a little bit irrelevant in a way, you know, so maybe at that moment, uh, again, I didn't expect and it created for the next year a certain expectations which I was not able to deal with for a while. But then later on, as I'm getting more mature, I'm, you know, I've been working a lot with, with from the mental part perspective, you know, to be better and how I can control my thoughts, my emotions and and you know what is important and what is not important all these things i think it's a part of the journey which 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 i had and which i'm having now and uh, i think that's made me a better player and and at the end of the day after a couple of years uh, looking back you know i know that there have been some ups and downs but then you know after some downs you know i i kind of raised up and i feel like i'm since 2022 i'm playing really on a high level I and mean, maybe even better level than in uh, Paris Masters so you know sometimes you compare with the results and you compare with uh, winning tournaments but maybe overall I became at that moment uh, like I mean 2022 and 2023 much more consistent to play on a bigger tournaments uh, 
later rounds, you know. So I was going deep in uh, Grand Slams, you know, to semifinals. I played quarters in all slams, and uh, you know, I think that's all being said, that shows that I improved even better from 2018. You talked about working on the mental side to control your thoughts. What sort of thoughts were not helping your game that you had to work on? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a it's a process. It's tough to explain in a few words, but I would say that you. Um, you don't think over the line, you know, you just focus on the current feeling process on a daily basis uh, and you are getting um, maybe stressed in a way, you are nervous, more nervous and you, you don't know, you can't control and then it becomes like a, like a hurricane, you know, uh, week to week. And from last year, I, I, I feel like I'm more steady, I'm more firm, I know what I'm capable of and this confidence is inside of me is not related to the daily basis feelings or results or anything you know so I know who I am I know what I can do if I bring my best tennis will be great if not I still know how to try to figure the things out and I'm looking for challenges and how to solve them that's my that's my current state of mind so what sort of things do you do to control the hurricane of thoughts uh, you, you need to try to to cut them, you know, not to let it go, because then it can become even more hurricane, right? So um, this is the point where we speak about mental, and you know that which things are important to keep in your head and which things better to throw out. So it's a question of what sitting down at a change of ends and saying, right, this thought is good for me, this one is not, therefore I must get rid of the one that isn't. In a way, yes. In a way, yes. Again, uh, you're controlling your thoughts, right? You're controlling, controlling your brain. You control your, your emotions, your feelings, and I think uh, your mind is capable of doing these things. And sometimes maybe you can't control it, and you're human. But if you know, if you have some tools how to solve it, uh, it's part of training, and you need to learn to do it. Do you enjoy the process of training your mind or do you find it an irritation because you're only doing it because it's holding back your tennis? No, not really. I think it's part of part of the other trainings, you know, like we, we, we practice forehand, backhand, you practice physical uh, abilities and then you practice your mind. I think you just spend less time doing that than the other parts of the game, I would say. You say you know yourself better now. When everything is right, how good are you? You know, what's your potential here? Yeah, how, how, how high can you go? I mean, only God knows, you know. Uh, I can't ask him. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like to talk a lot, you know, to think what I'm capable of not. I'd rather be focused and, you know, and whatever I can achieve, I can achieve more if, if, if it means to be, you know, and I will try to do everything possible to do it, you know. My hopes are high. My goals are high, my beliefs are high, and uh, and um, I think it's a process, it's a journey, you know, which you go through, and and you will see after some after some time what you are capable of achieving and doing and what is not. But my beliefs and my goals are high, that I still can do better, I can be higher, I can win bigger tournaments, and that's where I'm heading to. And the injury that you had at Roland Garros, that's completely healed now. Uh, yes, almost, almost. I mean, let's say almost in a way because um, 
maybe sometimes you still feel some tightness in a way, but but thank God it's 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 way better. So I mean I, I'm playing consistent now in the tournaments. You know I'm not having setbacks, and I think that's the most important. The very thoughtful Karen Hachanov talking, among other things, about how to stop unhelpful thoughts becoming a hurricane in his head. Great analogy, that. He lost a three-set quarterfinal to Daniel Medvedev in Vienna, which probably means he'll struggle now to qualify for Turin, but it affirms his underlying belief that his game is at a consistently high level. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. One person who was in both Vienna and Basel last week was Boris Becker, and he'll be in Paris this week, where he won the title in 1986, 89 and 92. That's because he's been in the tennis news of late, as Holger Rune has appointed him to be his new coach. Becker spoke to the media in Vienna and then headed west to Basel for Rune's first match under his guidance. But what of Rune himself? Candy Reid asked him how he came to appoint Becker. Yeah, so so Boris and I has actually been knowing each other for some years. He's been uh, writing to me sometimes, and uh, you know, always showed that he was, you know, he liked me as a person, as a player. So uh, the last few weeks, we we got in touch, and uh, we had a practice week in in Monaco. It was very very good, um, and uh, yeah, now I'm excited to see you know our first tournament together here, and uh, hopefully it can be uh, successful. So you said you practiced last week with him. When do you make the decision that this could be a full time thing? Um, after the practice week, actually, because, uh, you know, also we have to see, obviously, how it's going to be in the tournament, how I feel things, how he feels things, but but so far we're connecting well. We didn't rush anything, to be honest. We were just, you know, going on the flow, how it is, um, and it turned out that uh, it worked well, both on the court and off the court, so, uh, you know, so far I, I'm, I'm really happy. We know all about uh, Boris's past, the fact he's won majors before, and I know that's something that you definitely want to achieve. But it is the off-court chemistry that's just as important, isn't it? Because you spend so much time with your coach. Exactly. Um, it's very important. And uh, it's very important that, you know, I think that, you know, that your coach has also been through of this, some of the same moments as, as you have. And you have to go through, you know, some moments on court that are difficult and, and he can more relate uh, to the same feelings and kind of guide me through them, maybe easier than, than other coaches. Um, and I think that's a, a big quality to have. And I know you're also someone who's a, a very much a student of the game. You love watching past matches from previous decades, and I'm sure you've watched an awful lot of Boris before. Yeah, you know, I wasn't born so to see them live, but I definitely watched a lot of highlights with him. And he's, he was an amazing player, you know, serve, volleys, athletic, unbelievable. So I think that um, he's, he's a great, you know, role model for, for, for tennis. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can learn a lot from, from his game. Holger Rune talking about his new coach, Boris Becker. It'll be fascinating to see how that pans out over the next 12 months. Rune reached the semi-finals in Basel, which gives his chances of qualifying for Turin a real lift. But what's going to take him to the next level? Well, there's no magic answer, but Rune is one of several players working with data analytics to try and gain a few extra points per match. Candy Reid met up with Mike James, who's the data analyst helping Runa. James works for Patrick Moratoglu's Tennis Academy in France. But what exactly does he do? So my role as performance analyst for Moratoglu Analytics and Moratoglu Academy is effectively to provide marginal gains within the sport. So we're trying to take a, a sports science approach to, to uh, the analysis, basically. So we're looking at biomechanics, match analysis, movement we're trying to pull everything together 
to, to, to gain five or six points a tennis match. And if you're talking about someone like Holger, he's at Everest base camp. He can see the, the summit. <laughs> so how do we buy um, an extra 200 points a season to get him to ultimately number one in the world? Because that's really all it comes down to. Um, I do some commentary and the more I do it, it really comes down to those fine margins. It's one shot here or there and you see the total points won at the end. It's so close sometimes. In Sometimes a player will win or lose more points and they'll have the opposite result. That, that's totally correct. If you're looking at 10 tennis matches, you're talking between 5 and 10 points difference. Sometimes, like you say, you can actually win more points and actually lose the match. Mm. So the reality is we're, we're looking at, and we know nowadays with the technology and the video and the data that's out there, we know tennis is a game of repeatable patterns. So how can you repeat your strengths more often than not to hurt your opponent? And that's really what I'm and the team at Mobile Analytics are diving into week in, week out, or day in, day out, should I say. <laughs> minute, to, minute out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and never sleeping to actually provide insights because that's what it's about. It's providing... You know, you can look at the, the TV stats, and if I'm honest, the TV stats often don't give any insight to a coach or a team or a player that they don't already know. So we're trying to find um, and look at ways, for example. So, so my belief within the sport is that it's a power sport. So that might be quite controversial for some people already to, to think, well, what do you mean by that? And what I mean by that is if a player can increase ball speed and find a way to create more forced errors that's going to help them because let's say we take Holger for example um, his ball speed has increased on several strokes over the last uh, 12 months that allows him to know he can hit with good quality a meter from the line so he's not taking high risk know the opponent has is going to touch the ball with their racket but they're going to miss because the ball quality is so high Mm. And you can actually tell him that and you can show him the numbers, can't you? Which really does help because you could say, oh, hit the ball hard or you need more spin. But if you can actually give a player the numbers and show them today you're hitting this, tomorrow you can hit this. And that's what's going to be as a result. Absolutely right. So there's a consequence as well for the number. So when you look at the raw number, that's the headline. But what is the what's behind that number how does it get to that point and often it's down to court position it's biomechanics it's movement all of these things create uh, the, the headline figure that we see on the stat sheet what about the opponent obviously you're looking at Holger and his speed and margin for error and how high he's hitting the ball over the net how much are you looking at the opponent and actually dissecting where their weaknesses and their strengths are so again the philosophy that matched with Patrick was around your player is the most important person on the court. So we're doing a lot of my role and the team's role at Toggler Analytics is the game development, we Mm. call it. How can we, again, build the player up with the ball speeds, with uh, less errors, more winners, that perfect scenario, that holy grail that ultimately no one ever gets to. Um, So that's the main focus. I would say 70% is about this, day in, day out. How can we improve training? We're filming training at the academy. We're actually diving in to these areas. And again, as a sport, uh, naturally, we we take the match footage and we see, but we're not taking training footage. But in football, NFL, baseball, they're always looking at training footage. 
going back to your question, yes, scouting is important because there might be some tendencies or weaknesses that match up from our players' strengths to their weakness. But yeah. all, sometimes, actually, that's not the case. And also, it's down, if you're working with someone like Holger, he's a, he's a Rolls-Royce, he's a Ferrari, and he has a massive toolkit to be able to change and adapt if he wants to from his game. Mm. Ultimately, we want him to play his tennis and he wants to be the boss on the court. But the scouting does come in sometimes when you can find marginal gains and you can see uh, these one or two percent. Marginal gains, that's what it's all about. We know it happens in all sports and that interview gives an insight into how it's happening in tennis. Mike James there talking with Candy Reid. And you can hear a lot more of that chat on the full-length version that was released on the ATP podcast channel this past Friday. Runa's run to the semis in Basel, where he lost to the revitalised Felix Auger-Aliassime, keeps him in the running to qualify for Turin. And he heads to Paris as the defending champion, having had a dream week this time last year. My moment in time, winning Rolex Paris Masters 2022. What a golden opportunity this is. I kind of feel that I can actually win now. really do sense a momentum shift here. Oh, that's brilliant tennis. The winner was going to Paris and we did it all ahead. And momentum seized. It was the biggest title that I've ever won. The momentum was great, you know, I played uh, a good tournament, I remember in Sofia, beating some good players. Making the final. So that gave me a, a really good confident boost. Uh, after that, played some great tennis in Stockholm and Basel. Perfect tennis today. Yeah, it was very close to perfect. Making a lot of returns and, and playing pretty good by, behind my serve. The Swedish Royal Trophy to Holger Rune. Welcome to the capital of France for the ninth and final Masters 1000 event of the season. It is the Rolex Paris Masters where the great and good of the tennis world take center stage. In the first round I played Stan Rinka. It was a close match. I was really, really tired in that match, I remember. It was tough, but uh, you know, I just, I was digging deep, trying all I can. So close to lose, I saved three match points. Oh. He's the calmest man in Paris right now. Three match points saved. But managed to, you know, to be brave in the important moments, and that's what really, you know, gave me the victory. Stunning performance. Yeah, so after I won that match, uh, my mindset was extremely pumped because I was so glad that I that I won the first round and, you know, kind of managed to to come through because it was so tight. So I was, you know, maybe a bit more relaxed. At the same time, I was super focused. The second round against Hubi uh, Hukatch uh, was was a very good match from my side. I played super good, very disciplined all the time. And, uh, aggressive in, in all the moments and, and really took my chances. And especially after the first set, I was playing on a very high level, managed to break him twice, and that was really cool to finish uh, in such a short time and, and two sets. A victory for Holger Rune. The third round against Andrew Ruble was, was a tough one. It was two very close sets and uh, managed to save, save a lot of break points and uh, it was also one of the key matches to, you know to go deep in the tournament because he's you know so competitive and always have, brings incredible intensity so I really have to, to beat him and uh, I managed to do that play clutch in important moments and uh, was super proud of, of that win
playing Alcaraz in, in the quarterfinal was great. I was super excited before the match. He just won the US Open before that. That was, uh, you know, admirable. That's what you work for every day to be able to play against the best and compete in the best tournament. So I just saw it as a good opportunity. It was a big match. We were both the same age. We played tons of time in the juniors. You know, playing world number one is, is always something special. So I just went out there and, and kind of took my chance, played freely. I think it is. Maybe to take him a bit by surprise in, in the first set. Terrific conclusion, terrific set of tennis. Second set was extremely tough, very close games and unfortunate end that, that he had to retire, but uh, still happy on the way I played. We're done here. I think you might be right, Colin. It's a peculiar point. Goodness me, a sudden end. The semis against Felix was a really good match from my side. Definitely one of the cleanest matches I played in, in the 2022 seasons. And this time, another off the backhand side. So aggressive. So it was a, a super good match from my side. Nineteen years of age and into his first Masters final. What a few weeks it has been for Holger Rune. And he's signing the camera. Paris won more. If it is Novak on this court, it's kind of his house it has been. How tough do you think that would be? Yeah, for sure. Uh, tough, tough challenge for sure. He's winning, I think, five or six times. I don't know. Um, so he's obviously the favorite to win this tournament even now. Um, but I'm just gonna, you know, see it as that I can play totally free. Just go out there and, and have fun, like I've like I've done, you know, all the tournament. Just you know, be happy. The morning before the final was uh, very different compared to any other Sundays that I had in my life. I was very nervous and. Uh, was thinking a lot and you know my coaches were, were really good to you know talk with me calm me down a little bit and you know try to make me believe that it was a normal match even though we all knew it wasn't but also you know to stay in this moment it's a, it's a cool moment if you think about it it's it it looks stressful but you know it's i actually enjoyed it a lot and you know, to, to be in a situation where you can play for your first Masters 1000 title is a great situation. So go in there and just play to win. Uh, we are ready for a fantastic final here in Paris Percy. The game plan is uh, against Novak. <laughs> Novak Djokovic reigns supreme once again. It's tough because he's, I think, so complete player that there is no, he has no weaknesses basically. So at the end, I just had to dig so deep and, and be brave because he's not going to miss. So I had to really, you know, play my best tennis. It's another clinical set of tennis from Novak Djokovic. This remarkable week continues. I had a couple of match points before I actually took it. I kind of feel that I can actually win now. Um, and I just told myself, let's go for my for my serve and uh, you know play every ball in the court. And you know maybe he'll miss, or if I get a short ball, I'm gonna go for it because I know that's the only way I can beat him. And uh, you know, luckily in a way, I was able to hit a, a good passing shot under um, under the net height. He missed it. Quite remarkable. 
you know, after that, it was the biggest relief of my life. It meant the world for me, honestly. It, it was the biggest title that I've ever won, and to beat Novak in, in this final was extra special because you know how, how tough it is. One of the toughest to, to ever play in a final, so it was, it was unbelievable, actually. I was completely destroyed after the match, but uh, very proud of myself and super motivated to, to actually play more after this. It's been a year of consolidation for the Dane. He reached the semi-finals or better six times in the first six months of the year. And while he then had a lean spell thanks to a couple of injuries, his run in Basel means he's bounced back just in time to shore up his claim for a place at the Nito ATP finals. That's it for this podcast. I'm in Paris this week speaking to players and coaches and you'll be able to hear some of those conversations on next weekend's podcast. In the meantime, if you'd like to watch all the action live from the Rolex Paris Masters, subscribe to Tennis TV. For the latest scores and results, check out the ATP WTA Live Scores app. And for the latest news and video content, go to the ATP website, atptour.com. I'm Chris Bowers. Thanks for listening and enjoy the tennis. <laughs>